Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Delfina lopez Frijido and Aziz Zainuddin of FACET. FACET is developing itself as the operating system for financing sustainable infrastructure built on the Ethereum blockchain, and Delfina and Aziz will share more details in the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Welcome to the RFI podcast. To, to, to kick it off, uh, if you could, could each introduce yourself, uh, starting with you, Delfina. Yes, sure, Blake. Thank you for, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here and hopefully we'll we engage in some very interesting points throughout the, the conversation. Um, my name is Delfina Lopez-Fejido. Um, I've been in the sustainable finance slash impact investment space for several years already. I come from a background in public policy with a very strong interest in sustainable development and worked in different spaces within the, you know, cities development and national level, mostly in Argentina, my home country, and internationally as well. And in the past years, as I went further into the space of sustainable finance and impact investment, there were two things that came up quite big. One was that in the past years, or at least after the Paris Agreement and the SDGs, uh, launch, the infrastructure agenda has been growing up in the space and that has gotten me quite much into infrastructure development and what are the challenges to develop infrastructure, but not only infrastructure, but infrastructure that lasts well and that is sustainable. And the other part is the how digital technologies can play a role in supporting sustainable development and sustainable finance. And that's how I um, came across the team at FACET, uh, which I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not join <laughs> a few months ago already. Um, and that's a little bit of my, my background. Great. Uh, and Aziz, do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Blake. Uh, so my name is Aziz. Uh, I'm the Chief Product Officer of uh, FACET, so I manage uh, product development in, in FACET, basically. Uh, prior to this, basically, uh, my career was uh, centered towards uh, financial technologies, fintech. Uh, started off as a financial analyst at uh, at a AI based firm that tries to predict um, the stock markets and the crypto market using neural networks. After that, I transited into uh, creating my own startup, uh, basically uh, that focuses on uh, demystifying or evangelizing cryptocurrencies and the underlying blockchain technology. So what we did was created a whole lot of uh, free content and help beneficial. Um, content for, for everyday users, right, for the, the average Joe to really understand uh, blockchain technology and its uh, potential. Uh, so within one and a half years, we amassed as in uh, millions of uh, readers and we were acquired by a US uh, media firm. And thereafter, I joined Facet uh, as one of the first, uh, as the first employee there. And, and now we're, and now I'm managing product development here. Yeah. Great. Uh- so we'll start off, I think, going uh, to discuss where FACET fits into the overall sustainable finance uh, picture. And, and we've 
had some discussion already about the, the role of sustainable infrastructure in, in achieving the Paris Agreement and the sustainable development goals. Uh, Delphina, can you give a, a general background for FACET's work, especially where it fits into that broader uh, responsible finance market? FACET's mission and work sits mostly, I would say, at the crossroads of some spaces. On the one hand, you have the financial part, then you have the digital one. And then we have what we call the physical world, which we refer to the real economy and in our case specifically to the infrastructure space. So in that sense, that's kind of the overarching uh, idea, but specifically within that, within bridging those different worlds that are very different in nature and in dynamic and types of uh, players, FACET is specifically putting forward an operating system for the ethical financing of sustainable infrastructure built particularly on the blockchain, but specifically on Ethereum. And how this comes in concrete is the suite of products or services provide an ecosystem for tokenization, specifically tailored to channeling finance towards sustainable infrastructure, uh, which open up some questions, maybe uh, what's sustainable infrastructure or how is the channeling of financing or what's tokenization? Maybe I'll start by the latter. Tokenization could be, uh, is one use of blockchain, was one use case of blockchain. Uh, and we strongly believe that it can help overcome some of the pain points in the infrastructure finance, um, and particularly in the sustainable infrastructure financing. Um, I, I bet um, Asis will later on speak much more on the technical side on, on tokenization, but just to give a little bit of, of, of background. Tokenization speaks to fractionalizing, in our case, infrastructure assets. And it could be a large size standalone asset, or it could be a large pool of smaller assets. And that's not, that's not least important given that much of the problems come with the size of, uh, size of the assets and ticket sizes for investment. So if you can fractionalize that, you can open up the doors for more investors, even retail investors to come into the picture and generate further liquidity uh, to the space. That's, that's a little bit of, of, the, of the idea and how it, it actually speaks or sits within the responsible in finance or sustainable finance impact investment. There are multiple ways. On the one hand, we are putting forward a way, I, 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 would, I don't know if to call it a new asset class, but we're putting forward in a platform assets that are sustainable. So sustainable assets for already existing or responsible or sustainable finance investors that, I don't know, maybe PRI signatories or could be from any other network, they can go and find sustainable assets. That, that's one way, uh, very operational, how it exists within that space. But also uh, you can see the other way around. You can have traditional investors and banks or even um, investors that are looking into the uh, digital space that are not necessarily looking or, I don't know, following particular sustainable criteria, but by becoming interested in the assets that we put forward, they would be contributing to, to increasing the volume or the channeling of finance towards sustainable development, sustainable infrastructure, and therefore it's contributing to the volume and the scale of sustainable finance. And third, I would say we are in, in that sense building a digital sustainable finance platform. So I would say it's 
speaking to sustainable finance 3.0 yeah that's a little bit of of the ideas <laughs> how on how facet and its work fits within the broader sustainable finance world maybe uh, i would help with take sort of an example of a of an asset of a sustainable uh, infrastructure asset and, and just map out where uh, where the the role comes in for for private investors uh, because a lot of people think of infrastructure assets, they think of it, uh, it being something that's government initiated. Uh, where does the role for private investors come in? Where does the sustainability angle uh, come into a project? And, and then how does tokenization bring those bring those two together? And like you mentioned, uh, open it up to, to a broader group of investors because it comes in a, a smaller ticket size. Okay, there are various, various points there. <laughs> First, I will say that when we speak to about infrastructure, we need to understand that it's very broad. I mean, we, we speak about infrastructure, but you actually have different sectors, different types of uh, projects and types of assets. It's not the same, you know, when we speak about um, transport and when you speak about renewable energy, um, even social infrastructure. I mean, the economics, the physical and construction uh, type of part of the project is different. So. When we speak about infrastructure, we have to have in mind that we have an overly complex world very, with different types of dynamics. But the one thing that I would say it's the similarity across all that in every case is a network of contracts. So, of course, every contract or every piece of a contract is specific to the project. But that's the one thing is that it's a network of contracts for every uh, infrastructure project. So that's, that I would say is one thing that we need to have in mind. And let's say uh, renewable energy, of course, is part of that. Um, it's one of the, of the sectors within the energy space that we're looking into. Before that, I would say you have the network of contracts and then you have sustainability. It's not that uh, siloed verticals that you say, these are the green things and these are not the green ones. But actually sustainability is something, something you embed across the life cycle of the project from the design phase all the way to decommissioning when it's needed or you need to decommission the, the specific asset. So that's one thing and sustainability cuts across all that. So that's a layer of complexity uh, that thanks to many efforts is starting to be clear out. Uh, there are various initiatives trying to standardize at the different stages of the infrastructure projects, how you embed uh, sustainability. So that's the second important point. And the third one, I would say that in order to get sustainability across the infrastructure development and make sure that the contracts are you know, in place, the other big piece is transparency and traceability. And that's where blockchain can provide for a very specific help in that although um, through the smart contracts. So that's a little bit of the tying up of the pieces. Looking into specific examples, you can have either, uh, let's take the renewable energy space, you can have um, a solar uh, generation development or um, wind energy projects. So if you're looking into the brownfield, meaning already operational assets, one, one use or one benefit that we are seeing is providing an easier way for the asset owners of existing operational assets of sustainable infrastructure to liquidity. How can owners, shareholders of, in this case, already operational renewable energy project, how can it access liquidity, particularly through the equity side? 
So you, can, you could tokenize both, right? The equity or you can speak of tokenizing the debt. We, we have decided to start off through equity for one specific reason. Both are possible, debt and equity can be tokenized, but we started off through the equity because when, we, when you look into the infrastructure space and speaking about the conversations within the sustainable finance space, we always see that the money is out there, right? There's enough capital to support the developments. Now, much of that capital comes in the, in the shape of debt, but debt comes around a specific project where you already have equity invested, where you already have sponsors that have said, we're gonna you know, develop these projects. And then around that, comes to the debt. So how we see it is that the equity is kind of the igniters of the projects. So what we understood is that in order to scale up finance towards sustainable infrastructure, you need to generate those igniters, that equity capital, that sponsorship that would ignite the projects. So we started off with operational assets, brownfield assets, so that owners be you know industrial uh, sponsors or financial sponsors or the public sector sometimes in the case that would be possible for them to release part of their equity or you can also use that equity as a collateral we can talk about that later if it's staking or, or use case for this but the idea is to use the equity release part of the equity so that the asset owners can generate the liquidity to start new projects. That's why we started off with operational assets on the one hand and with the equity piece on the other hand. The other part is that when you already have operational assets, you can already speak about, you know, a stable, you already proved that there's a stable cash flow coming in and that would be another piece that would uh, be interesting on the side of investment, um, to cater to investors in the platform at the exchange level, on the exchange. So that one, that's one part. In the case of the brownfield assets, let's say you have a solar plant that has been already operational for three, four years. It's already generating enough stable cash flow. There's uh, one of the asset owners that wants to develop a different project. They can liquidate part of their equity, let's say 15% of the equity of the project, they can liquidate it and that's fractionalized through tokenization. And you can open up a window to traditional institutional investors, but also to a whole other lot of investors catering for looking into retail investors here, right? Since the pieces of investment are smaller. Up to now, one of the big issues has been that the ticket sizes are so large that only institutional investors can jump in or can enter that but now with, when you fractionalize it you can open the door for retail investors to engage in the financing for sustainable infrastructure well i think the, through that the explanation you've touched on a, a few points that i think maybe aziz can go into in a little bit more depth about infrastructure projects being a web of contractual relationships and requiring that transparency and traceability to make it accessible to to a wider range of investors who don't come, come at it with a, a team specialized looking at tracing back through that web of contractual relationships. You have to be able to sort of put it into a self-contained unit. How does, how does blockchain provide a specific, specifically good use case for uh, what's needed in financing sustainable infrastructure? Thanks, Blake. So uh, if we look at the context of uh, the legacy 
the legacy infrastructure system, it's very manual and it's very people-based and very traditional way of doing things. Now, when we talk about technology as in any kind of technology versus blockchain, right? What does blockchain offer above any kind of technologies? Um, obviously, fractionalization or digitization and fractionalization is not a new technology, right? So what, what is different and how blockchain takes it in another level is basically disintermediation, uh, the transparency and transparency. So we have here a public ledger in which any transaction is recorded on the public ledger uh, and where everyone across the world has access and it's immutable, right? Because it's a public ledger, so no one can change anything. So we know that once it is validated, and confirming the blockchain, it stays there forever. Now, this layer of transparency brings about accountability. And this is what we want to sort of introduce into this legacy system where you usually see uh, Pandora's box, you know, because you can't really know what's going on. Uh, it's usually a closed loop uh, ecosystem. So with that in mind, what we feel is that uh, blockchain, uh, blockchain technology could really, um, as in add that layer of accountability that is, is required across all stakeholders within the process. And uh, tokenization uh, also allows for the uh, leak as in liquidity management, right? Because uh, when you look at, when you look at uh, as in the traditional way of digitizing, it's usually within their own silo within the financial space. Now, when we talk about blockchain transactions, you know, it's um, in general, right? You can send anyone uh, a specific coin to his wallet, right? Anywhere across the world. But that level of uh, initial interoperability really facilitates global transactions that we have never uh, seen before in such a way. And the best part is that these transactions, whenever you, you send something uh, to the blockchain, is basically uh, very, very efficient, very minimal cost, and it's peer-to-peer. -peer. So there's no intermediaries involved, right? So it's completely as in peer-to-peer, uh, -peer and that, that is trustless in nature. Now, that is very interesting in the sense that uh, not only that, but within a tokenized ecosystem that you could actually pull the levers on different uh, economic models or economic incentives for each stakeholders uh, to really increase the the vectors of uh, incentives for for to, to foster new behavior or to foster some financial incentive for them to participate in the ecosystem. So this is what we feel um, blockchain uh, sort of provides. Delfina mentioned that specifically uh, you had chosen to work with with Ethereum, uh, what what brings added value from Ethereum compared to other other blockchains? And from a perspective of somebody not familiar with blockchain, uh, who have seen uh, things like Ethereum and Bitcoin talked about in terms of being very volatile and priced, how does that how does that part get dealt with? The volatility of the underlying uh, uh, coin. Uh, which which our platform is based on, in this case, Ethereum, right? So, for example, if Ethereum's, uh, we need to understand that there is a bifurcation or delineation between uh, the actual price of the underlying coins and how it affects our ecosystem. So, uh, basically, how, as in projects which are built on a specific blockchain, say Ethereum is the most popular, right? You know, you when you whenever you want to interact with the Ethereum uh, blockchain, as in there's, there's a fee involved, a network fee called gas fees, uh, it denominated in, in Ether. So that's the only part where there's a direct link to the operational part of our platform, which is paying for, 
for for the fees of using the Ethereum blockchain. Now, going back another step, uh, moving on into the uh, the different blockchains and why Ethereum, right? Uh, we have to understand too a very important fundamental concept before we discuss that, which is that not all, all blockchains are created equal. So you have the two heavyweights, the first ever decentralized cryptocurrency, which is Bitcoin, and then uh, you have a smart contracts, the one as in the blockchain that spearheaded smart contract technology, Ethereum. Now, if you look at Bitcoin and the likes of Bitcoin, uh, you see that they are, they are, these are called layer one technologies, right? This layer one uh, blockchains are very uh, good at what they do and they only specialize in one thing, right? So uh, think of blockchain as the app in your smartphone that does one thing and one thing very well, which is to transfer value. Right, and that's that's about it, right? So you can't really build on top of the Bitcoin blockchain because it doesn't support the the, the level of technology needed to build on top of, right? Now, if you think of Ethereum, think of uh, the App Store, right, in which anyone can create applications, anyone can subscribe or play in a, uh, uh, in in an application uh, or do whatever they want in the App Store. Right, so basically, that is the technology that smart contracts blockchain like Ethereum uh, facilitates. That technology that allows people to build on top. Now, why Ethereum? So there's a few smart contracts. We call them that a smart contracts blockchain, right? So there's a few smart contract blockchain in existence, right? And Ethereum, Neo, EOS. So why Ethereum, right? So uh, the 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 easiest litmus test is basically what is the percentage of token all tokens created uh, on what are all tokens created on so tokens and so tokens are coins uh, again another separate thing right tokens coins are those that they have their own blockchain like bitcoin like ethereum their cryptocurrency coins but tokens are basically built on top of a particular blockchain so in this case 80% of tokens that you see or more than that that you see in the cryptocurrency market is built on the ethereum blockchain now, why is that so? It is because, I mean, the fact that Ethereum is the, is the leader of Spearhead's development of smart contracts means they are, uh, they are the ones that, you know, as, uh, uh, with standards, with established standards, with a huge community base, with a huge developer base. So it is, it is by far the, the, the clearest winner in terms of development of smart contract technology that, uh, in the market. So it's clear that Ethereum is the most preferred uh, technology platform to be to build on because you know uh, of the traction that it's gotten and the development uh, phase that it it has over its uh, competitors okay so that is really just a, it's a big uh, network effect that supports the interoperability yes. or creates the, the value from being able to transfer value to, to between lots of different places how has it been used uh, in the financial sector, is it something that's that's completely new, or is there a track record for for how it's been used in, in other applications that gives it uh, gives it some proof of concept that financial institutions don't have to don't have to worry about stepping sort of outside of a comfort zone of what what has been tried before. Okay, so basically, if you talk about use cases that uh, uses blockchain, right, not Ethereum per se, uh, there's a, I mean, if you look at our three consortium, there's a lot of uh, banks, participating banks, top tier banks that uh, leverages on blockchain to really expand on the use case and see how they can uh, create like a, 
uh, a network of of uh, a shared network where as in where transfers or global transfers and remittances can be done effective uh, more efficiently. Now, uh, I won't, we won't as it, it is as in usually those as in the the, the blockchain technologies that uh, banks are trying to. Uh, explore on are usually built on uh, private blockchains, right? Um, because it's much easier to control at this point of time, it's much easier to transit towards rather than a fully public trustless uh, ecosystem. So that is basically the first uh, step, right? And you can see, for example, even governments are trying to explore uh, uh, the, the use of blockchain, right? For example, you have uh, the Singapore uh, Ubin project where the where the where the financial where the financial um, entity in Singapore or the regulator is trying to explore how we can best use uh, as in blockchain technology for payments. And you know, blockchain is integrated into most of the vision roadmap of countries like Saudi Arabia or or the UAE. So it's clear that the uh, as in uh, there's a deep interest in blockchain, uh, the use cases of blockchain. And in terms of applications, if you look at, as I said, as in, you know, Quorum, uh, uh, which is uh, basically a private blockchain forked of the Ethereum blockchain is by JP Morgan. So you can see that these are real examples of, of uh, as in institutions or financial institutions which are keen to explore blockchain. And usually the, the fact is that they would uh, try to explore with a private blockchain uh, and then, uh, you know, to see how they can work around it. So a lot of them have used private blockchains as the first way to get into yes. into it. But then as they've become more comfortable with that, there's been more use of a public public ledger blockchains. Yes. You know, we, uh, I think we are progressing towards that, but it is, uh, it's clear that the first step needs to be uh, private blockchains uh, at the start. And I guess what, one element since we're talking about sustainability and sustainable finance is uh, that people have have a perception based that these underlying uh, blockchain platforms are come with come with high resource costs and are them themselves uh, not sustainable uh, how has how ha, how have you gone through the ev evolution process or the evaluation process for uh, blockchains to find one that uh, is is more more aligned with that sustainability uh, focus so uh, yeah that that's a good I mean here's a fact right as in uh, if Bitcoin was a country, as in it would be like the 41st, 41 most uh, energy demanding countries uh, globally, which consumes like 0.26% of the entire electricity electricity supply. So we know that as in uh, mining cryptocurrencies, especially, for example, in the case of Bitcoin, is very expensive because they use a particular consensus model called proof of work that uh, validates transaction in a certain and very secure way. Now, that has already been part of our design decision from the start and that's why we are picked on Ethereum because there's sort of like an ethos to move away from such a, a re energy demanding uh, uh, process by the proof of work. So they are moving towards a new uh, consensus model called a proof of stake because at the end of the day, proof of stake, how it works is basically um, for you to be part of the, uh, for you to be part of the system of validators, which is basically the ones who validate each transa transaction, all you need to do is stake your uh, your underlying coins, right? So you have to stake your coins. The more you stake, it increases the chance of you getting the opportunity to validate, 
right? And once you've got the opportunity to validate, you will be rewarded with, uh, uh, with more additional coins if you do your job right, which is validate the transactions. But if you try to do uh, something which uh, uh, destabilizes the security of the network, you lose your underlying collateral, your stake collateral. That's why it's called proof of stake. As I said, it, it reduces the uh, cost tremendously by, by a factor of more than 100. So this is something which uh, Ethereum is trying to move towards uh, with the, as in most recent launch of Ethereum 2.0 testnet. So they're going to transit towards a proof of stake model, which is something that uh, was already planned and something that was already, uh, as in, factored in, in our decision-making process. Okay, going back uh, to Delpina, having this more more detailed uh, description of how the how the underlying platform for passive uh, works and, and the factors that have gone into selecting Ethereum uh, to make that to be the underlying uh, blockchain. Uh, when we're talking about the what what is uh, to come, you mentioned that Facet is starting with the equity side of infrastructure. And you mentioned a little bit about how project asset owners can get liquidity from existing projects. Uh, is that a potential new source of funding for for investment in transition to make to make infrastructure assets more sustainable and help help along with that part of the uh, infrastructure transition? Yes, there are there are a few ways in which this could happen. In terms of of transition, in terms of sustainability, a couple of points. One, uh, from a climate change perspective, we can consider either uh, projects that are in the mitigation space, like as I said before, we know energy is part of the type of assets that we would be looking for. Um, therefore, in that sense, contributing to mitigation of climate change, but also there's the adaptation side, right? Um, and something interesting in that is that it's not only climate change, because when you look at into adaptation, you can see projects that are integrating uh, nature-based solutions in, to, to the design of the project. Uh, so in that sense, from the sustainability perspective, both sides would be covered and including nature-based solutions. But going more into the greenfield, brownfield, and how do we scale the, the transition? How do we scale the transformation of the infrastructure through scaling finance? There are multiple ways or several ways. Um, on the one hand, as I, said, as I said before, if you understand that infrastructure, um, you can look at it as asset by asset, but you can also understand it as a system. So it's usually connected assets that work for to deliver the enough energy we need or to deliver the certain amount of water to a whole community. So when you understand it as a system, by generating liquidity and releasing equity um, or capital from asset owners that are already invested in projects and using that capital to ignite new projects, and you see that as as, you know, um, how can I say, like a waterfall um, in the infrastructure system, you can see how you can start generating a flow of finance to ignite the different new projects that are needed. Uh, and you could be speaking about um, greenfield projects, like new complete projects, or you could even there 
understand how you can start investing in the retrofitting or the improvement of other projects, which would be more the, the brownfield space and improving in that way, you can also improve the operation of it. With the infrastructure projects, a lot of times it's viewed as, as a large, fairly static investment. And with the transition towards the Paris Agreement targets, there has to be lots of different changes uh, going on. Does it allow for greater specialization by investors so that they can find more opportunities in the types of investment that they're comfortable with? Yes. So a couple of things related to the identification of projects through, through the work that we're doing at FACET and with the partnerships that we're building, part of that is generating the, the communication channels to attract the different investors to the pipeline that is exist, existing, right? Um, one of the, the pieces that sometimes happens is that one of the challenges that is happening in the infrastructure space is that the investors that are wanting to go into infrastructure investment space, they may not be finding they may not be finding the projects or they may not be finding enough bankable projects. So on the one hand, through the work of FACET and through the tokenization of the assets and opening up the window to retail investors, one thing that you're doing is broadening the scope of investors that can support sustainable infrastructure projects, be them brownfield or be them uh, greenfield and be them large size big projects or be them medium size or even smaller size. In the case of very small projects, what happens nowadays is that if, if the assets are too small, then the institutional investors find that as too low of a ticket to come in. Like the economics doesn't work for them to come into, a, into very small projects. So in that sense, in our case, we can pull together a large number of smaller projects and tokenize that in maybe a fund. So you tokenize the fund and you allow for a, as I said before, retail investors to jump in because once they're tokenized, the ticket sizes are small enough for them to jump in. Secondly, you're giving a space to, to advance in the development of small projects and find investors for those small projects because you will be having small projects with, let's say, retail investors, like small investors in the sense that they're not looking for, you know, the $300 million projects. So you're generating that. Um, you're still making the availability for the institutional investors because they can invest in a whole lot of, of uh, tokens. So then in the sum, that would be a large sum for them to invest. So you're still catering for institutional investors. So in that sense, you're generating a larger range of investors can come in and you're allowing a return range of different types of infrastructure projects to find their investors. Also, as, as I was saying, you know, before, you can ease the process of that connection. Uh, instead of having too, too many middlemen or too many players coming in, you, you, you're shortening up that connection. So on the one hand, the transaction costs go uh, go down and on the other side, you can accelerate the timing of that. Um, so those are pieces that help support the scale up of finance to cater for the different types of infrastructure projects, um, which is important because if you see how infrastructure development is uh, advancing, 
you start seeing, you know, infrastructure 1.0, but also infrastructure 2.0 and infrastructure 3.0, and you start seeing decentralization trend that lowers down the scale of the project. And for that, we see that what we're doing will support that as well, which is very important. Yes, and another piece is the transparency. If we are, if you're working with an agenda that has targets like the SDGs, the goals for sustainable development, or the national determined contributions targets or the or other you know uh, agreements based targets you need to start understanding where you're standing how much is you're needing and how are you progressing towards that and the fact that the blockchain allows for more transparency and to record to have some record keeping as well uh, and be more transparent in communicating that i think that's another piece that can help not only the financing infrastructure scale up, but also how you scale the communication and traceability of the sustainable infrastructure development, which can support the measuring of, hey, are we getting closer to the SDGs or not? Or are we getting closer in the sector, but, if, but not on that sector? So you start having that information to see how far and how much are we progressing. And so with that additional gathering and tracking of data is that's seems like one one additional output from facet and from the use of blockchain uh, that makes the the underlying technology choice of ethereum more valuable because there's if there's other projects or other companies that are focused on either other sectors or other stage of investment and in infrastructure that the the data can be can be gathered and analyzed across them uh, in a in a common uh, and seamless way. You're right about that in terms of uh, uh, gathering because really what we're trying to do is the as in touching the entire end-to-end -end process from asset origination all the way till investing, right? And all the way till um, I mean the you, token holders get the dividends, which can be years, right? So all that trove of data. Um, a portion of it obviously is going to be on the blockchain because uh, that entails the transfers of tokens to other stakeholders and parties. So those kind of transactions will definitely be in the blockchain as well as the underlying uh, inputs of, of that tokenization process, right? For example, the, 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 the actual proof of asset uh, and all the documentation related to the project is going to be uh, within the blockchain as well. But uh, on on the on the operational level, where you know the the behaviors, the activities of uh, users can be tracked uh, through the uh, a facet platform centrally, is basically a trove of insights that we can use uh, to really understand better uh, our target audience, as well as the uh, the entire end-to-end pro -end process of uh, of 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 uh, book building and, and, and demand as in, and catering to the demand of the market. Yeah, it sounds like the, there's, yeah, increasing the data, increasing the ability to, to move, move focus where, where it's needed, where the data supports yes. it. Um, exactly. Transparency, traceability, uh, expanding the investors uh, who can, uh, the investor base that can tap uh, and finance uh, infrastructure and uh, speed up the process from within the infrastructure projects themselves by speeding up the matching project process for finance. So it seems like it addresses several of the the needs that would be important with you know coming into the 
to the decade of action towards the sustainable development goals in the Paris Agreement, where there's targets that we want to reach by 2030. Exactly. I guess now I'll sort of open up if you have uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up. Uh, Aziz, do you want to begin? Okay, so basically, as in, uh, as in, in terms of uh, basically the uh, what we're trying to do is really bridge the real world and the the digital world, right? And the digital world within the crypto space or the blockchain space is very nascent, right? And there's a, I mean, every day there's new updates or new developments or new uh, technology which is being integrated, which is very very exciting and novel that can really deepen our understanding on on how things should work. Uh, and particularly one which is uh, one of the fastest growing pockets within the crypto space is de decentralized finance or DeFi for short, right? And what we feel is that as in there's, so, as in there's novel mechanisms in place that can really enhance the, uh, the economics behind uh, behind a tokenized system. And that is why, as in not only, as in are we focusing on asset tokenization, uh, we've already built our asset tokenization platform. Uh, we already have built our secondary uh, digital assets exchange to support uh, the, the uh, underlying um, asset-backed tokens. And also, we're also trying to create a decentralized uh, platform uh, that facilitates the issuances of uh, DeFi applications that could really enhance the use cases of, of our tokenized asset infrastructure, um, both in the real and digital world. So that's a huge amount of, uh, of, of uh, innovation that is within the blockchain space that we can really uh, take, take and really improvise and, and integrate into our solutions that would uh, benefit all stakeholders especially those in the traditional uh, infrastructure world. Thanks, uh, Delphina, the final word. Sure. Um, yes, as a final word, I would say that we see that, I mean, digital technologies will advance no matter what, they, they are already advancing. We can see it even in the pandemic, how mobile banking or mobile payments have grown in many places, or especially where, where you may have informal you know, economy, etc. The how you know offices went to their to homes, and you, everyone is using Zoom now or other communication platforms. So the digital technologies will advance, mm -hmm. and even beyond that, you know, right? Like you have a range of digital technologies, and they will advance, and they they keep going. So um, beyond the, on the one hand, they provide better resources to support sustainable development. But it's up to us to steer that path. With the horizon of 2030, trying to make sure by 2030 and 2050 that we do not pass you know, 1.5 or two uh, degrees from the level of 2010 uh, in terms of emissions, carbon em uh, G uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, to avoid that on the one hand and to ensure that you know no one is left behind that we're uh, catering to or making sure that we contribute to the SDGs and that we target and we get to those goals we if we don't start steering the path of the digital technologies to support that we may be making various you know 1.0 efforts on those agendas and then we'll have unintended consequences on the digital agenda so what I said I would say is on the one hand, digital technologies and blockchain in our case in particular 
provide various resources to support and to overcome challenges that we have been grappling with for some time already. Infrastructure is one case. And on the other hand, if we don't combine that and we, we don't make a, take advantage of those resources that we have through the technologies, we may risk having uh, another big talent to deal with in a few years. Um, so my, my conclusion would be, these technologies provide an opportunity. It's up, for, mm -hmm. up to us to use them to steer and to support sustainable development. And what we're doing a facet is trying to make those bridges. In one specific environment, that infrastructure, but making sure that we, we build out those bridges with the flexibility to, you know, onboarding new challenges in the future. Great. Uh, thank you both for, for your time and joining us today. Thank you so much, uh, Blake. It was a thank pleasure. You. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to stay updated about RFI's work, you can find the link to subscribe to our newsletter on our Twitter feed at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.